0: g Sean, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. Check the guys out live weekday mornings from 6 to 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson, host of The Excellent Joe and Amber, of course, with Joe Fortenbaugh, our old friend Joe Fortenbaugh, on ESPN Radio, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern. Amber, we are joined now by Bobby Marks, ESPN NBA front office insider, former Brooklyn Nets executive. Morning, Bobby. Good morning. How is everyone? Doing well. Glad to have you. So the Suns are finalizing the trade for Bradley Beal. How'd this all come together?
1: Well, I think the Beal no trade clause uh, limited the market. I mean, If he didn't have the no trade, I think it would have certainly opened it up to more than Miami and um, Phoenix and possibly Milwaukee. Um, and you have an aggressive owner in Matt Ishbia that basically did a cannonball off the, uh, <laughs> into the deep end here with... Pushing everything that he had left post Durant trade into the middle here, and whether it be Chris Paul or Landry Shamet and six second round picks and pick swaps here, and uh, they're willing to take on that two hundred million dollar uh, Bradley Beal contract and face the consequences that come with it when it comes to roster building, and um, that was really, you know, that's the team, you know, that I guess at the end of the day made the most sense just because of the no trade clause and. Um, you know, there wasn't an appetite for teams to take up, take on that $200 million contract.
2: Bobby Marks joining us here on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. So you mentioned there the Heat, and obviously we know the Suns. Were there any other real players here for Bradley Beal?
1: I think those are really it. I know Milwaukee had interest in in Bradley Beal. Um, I just didn't see a path to get Beal when it came to who on their roster, if you're not going to certainly not move Giannis and you're not going to move Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton's got a $40 million player option. Um, the Bucks were limited as far as what they can send out in draft picks as far as second round and first round picks. And I think for the from the perspective of the Wizards, and I, and I said it yesterday, it was similar to when we went through in uh, 2012 with Joe Johnson when we acquired him, it cost expiring contracts and a first round pick. I think for the Wizards' perspective, it's, how could we shed that money, not hinder our future flexibility? And, you know, they did it with the Chris Paul and and Shamit. And, you know, they, you do get some draft capital. We'll see where these pick swaps are and, and certainly a boatload of, of seconds here. So, um,
0: Bobby, when people see that Josh Bartlestein is named CEO in April and then his dad is – Dad's, uh, you know, the agent of a guy who gets, who winds up, lands in Phoenix on a, in a, a, you know, it was not a high price to pay, although they now have to pay a contract for an injury prone player. Um, in your experience, how often does the agent, is the agent's kind of interest the deciding factor in a situation like this?
1: Well, and this case is unique just because he had a no trade clause that Mark Bartlstein negotiated last year and Beale is the only player um, that has one. Um, so certainly similar to, you know, what we saw with Leon Rose, when he repped Carmelo, Leon had a, a vested interest and in kind of, you know, steered as far as trade, um, you know, dialogue here. I don't, I don't really put the, I, I understand that, you know, Mark is the father of, of Josh Bartlesey. And I think Mark's got a lot of NBA clients and, you know, Josh is the you know CEO and James Jones is the GM. Um, so I don't, I don't, Think it's you know that hey you know they gave a kind of a more of a sweetheart deal in um, in Phoenix because you know the relationship between Mark and uh, between Mark and Josh. I just saw a small condensed market here, and if Bradley Beal, who has a no trade, says you know it's um, Phoenix is the place I want to be, and this is the trade package where it doesn't cost you DeAndre Ayton and it basically co- costs you Chris Paul and a, and a sixth man a, and a role player and Shamit. Then you're going to you know you're going to sign off on that here. So I, I didn't I don't really you know you know put the t- I, I understand it based on the name and in the relationship here, but I don't I don't put that into the into the hey, equation. Hey Bobby, I want
0: to follow up with that. You say it doesn't cost you DeAndre Ayton. Yeah.
1: When we Amber and I were talking about this roster
0: earlier and looking around, going okay, obviously now they got to flip Ayton to to flesh out the roster and get depth, and you want to get, but and the question is, well, who's the sucker to take that contract? But when you say it doesn't cost you DeAndre Ayton that i infer from that that you think DeAndre Ayton has real trade value is that the case and what do you think you could get for him
1: yeah i mean i i, th- I mean what's real trade value i mean if you're looking to move DeAndre Ayton you're looking to 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 break up that contract into 3 into three players to really balance out your roster. You're not looking to kind of you know recoup some of the draft um, you know equity that you uh, that you lost. He's listen. He's he's a thirty plus million dollar player. He's probably a little bit overpaid. I think he's I think he's a good center. I don't think he's a you know he's not a you know um, a cap casualty where you just need to move him here. And I think that's going to be the big question as far as for the Suns organization if they need to move eight into. As I as I said, just balance out this roster a little bit here. So I, I do think there's value out there. I don't think it's going to be you know tremendous value here. I think um, you know there's I don't know about a sucker, but I think there's teams out there that would love to have DeAndre Ayton, whether it be maybe Indiana or mm. you know maybe some of these teams that have you know potentially have cap space here. But that's going to be the big decision. What if does Phoenix keep Ayton? Do they look to move him? Um, you know certainly there's a lot more work to do with uh, with this roster.
2: Yeah, they've got to do something to round out this roster. They've only got five players under contract. Bobby Marks joining us. You keep referencing this no-trade clause. It seemed to have tanked the value of Bradley Beal for the Washington Wizards. I understand that now he still has the no-trade clause that goes with him to Phoenix. Is he still going to be the only player in the NBA here over the next few years with a no-trade? Do you see anybody else handing out one of those things now?
1: It's it's hard for me to see anybody ever giving out a no-trade just based on what we just went through here. I, I thought the Suns, as part of this deal, to make it work, should have had Bradley Beal not only waive it, which he did, but basically eliminate it from his from his contract altogether, which he could have done. And, and, and we'll see. The trade is not final. Maybe that's something that comes to fruition here. Um, because what happens – and I know they basically have gone all in, but Bradley Beal is, is – the length of his contract, he's making fifty-seven million in that last year. What happens if you get to a position where you need to move him again, and he he has to sign off on it again here? So, um, but yeah, regarding your question, I don't I don't see a player with a true no-trade clause. Um, I mean, it would be reckless, and we saw what the, you know the the basically what the um you know what the market was for Beal just because of that.
0: Meantime, Chris Paul is moved, and now the reports are that. The, uh, um, they're looking to maybe expand the deal to three teams so that Chris Paul can go to a contender. Whatever the case is, if, if, if you know Chris Paul is waived or traded eventually, where do you see him landing, Bobby? What's the most likely spot?
1: I think it's a matter of does the Clippers get in the mix here um, as a third team because they certainly have the expiring contracts if they want to go out and do that. And do you have to add another? You'll probably have to add a second-round pick to it. Um, you know, when you look at guys like Marcus Morris and you know, Robert Covington, Nick Batum, players like that, um, I think if he goes through waivers and is waived by the Wizards and is a free agent, I think you certainly give the Lakers a, you know, more of an advantage and I think that's why you, you would see the Clippers trying to come in and get him in a trade where he wouldn't get to the Lakers. Um just because of, you know, he's going to make mo- probably all of this all of the money on his contract here which is close to $30 million. So he you can go to the Lakers for the veteran minimum exception. The Lakers would still have the $12.2 million non-tax to go out and fill out your roster and, and keep Austin Reeves and Rui Hatchimor. Um But I would say, if he, you know, if certainly if he gets through waivers, which I, the likelihood if, he, if he's not traded, that the, uh, for me the Lakers would be, you know, certainly has the advantage.
2: Bobby, I'm trying not to be too much of a homer on the morning show here and make this about the Miami Heat, but Nuno did just give me the green light in my ear to ask a Miami Heat question. So you said it came down to the Heat and the Suns. Obviously, the Suns went out on Bradley Beal. What do the Miami Heat do from here?
1: I think you wait and see what happens with Damian Lillard. I think, you know, I'm not ready to say Lillard's in play. Damian Lillard will be in play when Damian Lillard says he's in play. That means, does he... Eventually go to that front office and ask to be moved. And I think when if he di- if he does, and we'll see what happens on Thursday night with the draft, then you know the Heat and Brooklyn certainly have the equity to potentially get a, a deal done. I think the Nets probably have a little more equity if they want to put in more of these picks that they got from Phoenix and, and Dallas. In the um, in the Durant and Kyrie Irving trade, but we know what we know what the Heat's cards are. If 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 it is Lillard, whether it be Tyler Hero, you can move three first round picks. We'll see what other players would be involved here. But yeah, that's that's the big game hunting for from Miami. If it's if it's not Lillard, then you're probably focusing on your own free agents. With certainly is you know starts with Gabe Vincent.
0: Bobby, in your experience, you know I once suggested this, and it, boy, it was a bad idea. But the <laughs> Lakers thought it was a good idea at the time. I suggested after the Chris Paul trade failed uh, because the league basically undid it, that Steve Nash, given his age, given his kind of loyalty to the franchise, and given the fact that time was running out and Phoenix wasn't going anywhere, were he to go to ownership and say, look, I- I'd like to go to the Lakers. They would trade him to. They would do the right thing by him. And in fact, that worked out, and it didn't work out for the Lakers in the end. They got Steve Nash, and he got hurt. Is Damian Lillard in the position where he could go to the franchise and say, look, I've been, I'm have been i known for being loyal to this franchise. I'm 33 years old. I'm not getting any younger. I don't think the Nets give me the best chance to win a championship. I think the Heat do. If the Heat get within spitting distance, I, I want to go there. I don't want you to trade me to anyone but the Heat. Would they respect that were he to say it?
1: You know, when Amber asked about if anyone had a, a no-trade clause, and I said, you know, just um – you know, just Bradley Beal, I probably should have added that. I feel that, you know, it's not in writing that Damian Lillard has somewhat of a no trade clause where he has built up so much equity with that organization where Damian, they're not just going to ship off Damian Lillard. He's going to be part of the, you know, conversation, him and his agent, Aaron Goodwin, if we ever got to that point where if it's Brooklyn or, um, or Miami and those are the two teams and he says, you know what? I've, Hey, I've given everything to this organization. I really want to go play for the heat. Maybe if the nets package is a little bit better, then um, you know you, you certainly go you know you know you respect what he's saying and, and, you, and you ship him to the heat. I mean if if it's a you know lopsided here, then I don't think he can just for the sake of the organization here. But yeah, I understand what you're saying, Max, and I agree with you. I think he has built up enough equity that you know he should be respected enough that to treat him like he has somewhat of a no trade clause. Bobby Marks, ladies and gentlemen, ESPN NBA front office insider.
0: Real quick, Bobby, John ja Morant, twenty-five games suspension. Grizz and NBPA, like you know, like do you think this actually stays twenty-five games, or something going to happen?
1: I think Joshs got a He's going to be the one who has to file a grievance. I think he didn't. He probably didn't help himself when he put out that statement. That, um, um, you know, apologizing and showing remorse um, because if you're the arbitrator in there, you're looking at that as basically kind of you're, you know, you're guilty already. So we'll see if Jod ja does it. He's got 30 days. The PA can't do it on his behalf. Um, I would say probably not. And we kind of, uh, everything moves on and, um, and there's no grievance filed. Bobby Marks, ladies and gentlemen, thanks as always, Bobby. Thanks, guys.
0: Where does the Bradley Beal trade?
3: must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
4: Gishan,
0: J. Will, and Max, the podcast. Adrian Warzanowski reports that three-time All-Star Bradley Beal will be traded to the Phoenix Suns. There was much less of an appetite around the league to take on a contract of a
5: player who's going to be making 50 $53, 57000000 million dollars in the last three years of his deal. That combined led them to Phoenix.
6: The deal is a game-changer.
3: It's like when Kevin Garnett went to Boston. It was a wrap the minute that that trade happened. It feels very similar to that.
0: Keyshawn, Jay Willemax, ESPN Radio, you heard coming in. It's like Kevin Garnett. When he got traded to Boston, it felt like a wrap. I think there are real differences, though, Amber Wilson, in for Key and Jay on this Juneteenth. I think the real differences here is that Bradley Beal has never been confused for the best player in basketball. Kevin Garnett in his prime, there were a couple of years, it's like, is he the best player in the game? I never thought he was quite number one, but he was in that conversation. He was a five-star player, an MVP caliber player. Bradley Beal's a four-star player. He's an all-star. You want to say he's an all-star plus? Okay. Although I'll, I'll point out that perennial all-stars are often thought of as more than just all-stars, right? But if you're never really in the MVP conversation, to me, you're a four-star player. The point is, so, so that's one difference. The other difference, as you point out, is Bradley Beal has averaged 50 games a year the last three years, average, 50 games a year. So where does this trade put the Suns in the West? They went from fourth at plus 900. It was Nuggets 450, Celtics 550, Bucks 700, Suns 900, fourth. Now the Suns are plus 600, so they leapfrogged the Bucks at plus 700. They, the other teams stay the same, and they're nipping at the Celtics' heels for second-best odds to win. Where are you with all this?
2: Well, they're nipping at the Celtics' heels as they currently stand, right? Because that's what the odds are telling us. As they currently stand, they've got five dudes under contract. They've got that DeAndre Ayton contract on their books, and they have to figure out a way to fill out their roster. So certainly these odds will change depending what happens, whether they end up keeping Ayton and they somehow fill out this roster would just minimum guys if they are able to move DeAndre Ayton free up a little bit more space doing it that way there's still a lot of things that have to happen here with the Suns for us to really know where they're going to end up in those odds I don't think they're going to end up though eclipsing the Nuggets because you mentioned right there they're neck and neck with the Celtics in terms of the odds I don't think that they jump ahead of the Nuggets because also the reality is that you're talking about three guys not just Beal missing so much time three guys who've missed significant time the last couple seasons, even Booker's part of that conversation. Now, I'm not saying that Devin Booker is an injury-prone player, but we'll see what happens here moving forward. Certainly, Kevin Durant is, and Bradley Beal has been also the last five years. Now, does that story change when he's no longer with the Washington Wizards? Does his production also go up when he's in Phoenix and maybe has a little bit more motivation to get out there and stay on that core? We will see all of that during his tenure here. The other thing that we need to see is the chemistry between these guys because we thought – When the names came together with CP3 on that team, Devin Booker and KD, Max, we thought, here they they hit it. This is it. This is the huge swing from Ishbia. Brings in KD championships awaiting this team. They had played something like 10 games together and the chemistry never was able to develop, so it couldn't carry into the postseason. There's going to be some of those growing pains here as well. Again, three players that have missed significant time, two of those very significant time just this past season. So how long is it going to take these guys to just together
0: then there's also I think something that's not being talked about which is that when healthy people realized in recent years that KD was clearly the best player in basketball like you don't know it's Giannis it's this one it's a stop when KD was healthy and he had one other all-star remember what I said about MJ earlier when you just give him Kyrie or Harden right just but but like he had Kyrie and Harden was out and they were wiping the floor with the Bucks, who wound up winning the championship that year. Then Kyrie went out, and when Harden came back, he was limping around. It wasn't really Harden. They still got to a Game 7 foot on the line, or they advance. Right? Like, and that was because they got KD, and the other team didn't. But a funny thing has happened in the NBA. Jokic's rise has been astounding. And what all the advanced analytics tell you is the same thing your eyes tell you, which is he makes everyone around him better. Whereas KD is not the same kind of force multiplier. He's additive. You Whatever value KD has, add it to the team, right? And he's going to make any team ever better. But Jokic actually elevates everyone around him the way LeBron does and once did, the way Magic or Bird did, because his passing is next level like genius. He can also take the ball up. He also, you know, Jokic, even just in the traditional numbers at 25 points, 10-11 boards, uh, or... T- uh, uh, you know, 10 11 boards, eight nine assists, a steal, two like and a half a game, something like that. He and and in these playoffs, what he showed with a healthy team for the first time since he reached MVP level is he's the best player in the game. I think a lot of what we're seeing with the Nuggets is not simply will they have continuity because Jamal Murray has missed a lot of the last two years before this year, wasn't available in the playoffs. It's that there, there's a perception change that not enough people are really considering, which is, yeah, KD was considered the best player in the league. Jokic is considered that now. Time was. You give KD two other high-level all-stars, you're like, come on, man. Who's going to mess with KD? Uh, Jokic. I think that's well, yeah. part of it.
2: That's certainly part of it. I mean, the conversation is going to be who also does the Suns team have to get through? And we know that the Nuggets are at the top of this list, and it's why they're still sitting at the top of the odds. But you said that Jokic's rise has been surprising and that he elevates all the talent around him. I don't know if it's completely fair to KD, though, because the way Jokic has been able to do this is to grow in Denver and grow organically in Denver. And yes, Jamal Murray obviously had significant time missed with a catastrophic injury, but he was able to work his way back. And this team, was able to over years, plural, develop the chemistry and grow up quite literally and grow together. Kevin Durant hasn't had that luxury. Like he did not have that luxury in Brooklyn and he does not have that luxury here in minute, Phoenix. Amber. So is it fair? It, it's been a very tumultuous few years for KD. KD is it fair to have that assessment? It's been very different no,
0: than let's, let's Jokic's
2: be, situation. It is
0: not fair to say it is not fair to KD. Let's be fair about this to everybody. KD came into the league on an extremely well-put-together team. Now, they were puppies. I get it. It is reasonable to say, come on, man, they weren't in their primes. They got to a, <clears throat> they got to a finals. They very nearly got to another one, although he and Westbrook choked down the stretch in, in late in the series against the Warriors, and LeBron led his team past that same Warriors team, OKC, getting off the bus. May have been the best team in the league that year, including the Warriors and the Cavs, right? And had KD risen to the occasion late in that series, maybe they'd win the championship. In fact, I thought they would have. But nevertheless, they were very young. He was the choosing one. It wasn't chosen for him. He chose to leave and go to the Warriors. He then, once on the Warriors, chose to leave and went to Brooklyn. He then, once on Brooklyn, chose to leave and went to Phoenix, to say it's not fair to KD is not, to me, reality. He was the one who made choices. So, now, now I admire some of those choices. Like, going to Brooklyn was a gutsy thing to do. I admire it. I applaud it. It didn't work out. But it was his choice. It was his choice to play on what was clearly an Achilles issue. It was his choice to go to Brooklyn, to go to Golden State in the first place. It's now his choice to go to Phoenix. In each case, he's going from very talented team to another very talented team. I don't, I'm not going to say it's unfair to KD. To be fair to KD, we have to say, well, his situation isn't the same as Jokic. Jokic waited through all the injuries. He didn't say, hey, I want to get out of here. He was patient. That's to his credit, I well, think. Well, playing,
2: playing on that Achilles issue, I'm not going to put just on the shoulders of Kevin Durant. There might have been a lot of pressure there to play in that situation. Sure. Nevertheless, though, I'm just talking about your analysis isn't fair when you're discussing the last few years here of Kevin Durant's career where you're saying he doesn't elevate the talent around him, which is what you were suggesting. You were saying Jokic elevates everybody around him, and Kevin Durant doesn't. I mean, if you want to go back to Oklahoma City when he was in a very similar situation then with Jokic, then, yeah, he was elevating the talent around him. No, he wasn't him. ever. I, I mean,
0: by the advantage advanced analytics i'm talking about when people break it down what they find is the performance of the team when he's on and off the court is not as stark as play. And this is by the way you know it's like guys like kobe mj kd guys who are primarily scorers frequently this is the case where it doesn't have the same on and off the court effect as guys like lebron magic very different game because it's a different kind of game but nevertheless that exists that phenomenon exists and um and that's to Jokic's credit. I don't think it's – it's not that you're, I'm taking anything away from KD. I'm saying this is a dimension to Jokic's game, which is just different. And I think that that, that force-multiplying dimension is really – along with continuity and Jamal Murray in the playoffs – is really, but, but it, it suggests that there's been a perception change that goes unspoken a lot of the time, which is the guy sitting on the throne as best player on the game now, which went on when healthy has been KD for a while, in fact – is no longer KD, not at this moment. Once again, I time it so that Amber's all. So out I have of time.
2: no time to respond. That's, it that's is a brilliant tec- way Amber, for you to win every argument. Amber,
0: it's my technique. What's been the reaction Tyler, to John question. Morant's suspension in Memphis? Amber Wilson in for Key and Jay on this Juneteenth, KJM.
4: We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any.
0: Sean J. Will and Max, ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson of Joe and Amber fame, 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern here on ESPN Radio. So you heard the sound coming in. It's as bad a financial hit, you know, in the history as anyone's taken in the history of sports. Except, of course, that John Morant already got hit by about $40 million from his last suspension. Even not including the eight games that he missed and the money he lost He wasn't eligible for the Supermax because he didn't make any of the first three team All-NBA teams, and that's likely because of those eight games. Jeff Calkins, host of the Jeff Calkins Show on 92.9 FM ESPN, columnist at the Daily Memphian. Jeff, let me just ask you, what do you think of the 25 games? I
7: think it's fine. I mean, I, I think it's on the slightly outer edge of what was reasonable, but I honestly don't think it particularly matters whether it was 17 or 19 or 21 or 25. It was going to be something in that um, ballpark, it felt like to me. Um, and, uh, and and I thought 25 games was, was was harsh, but fine. And I honestly think I can't speak for an entire city here. But I think the emphasis for Memphians is let's do whatever has to be done in order to get him back on track. And what matters next is is how he treats this period um and where he goes from here. So I don't there wasn't any great outrage over the twenty five games in Memphis. I think we all expected it to be something pretty serious and and uh and it was.
2: So you're saying that you expected it to be somewhere in that ballpark. I feel like the reaction nationally was that a lot of people expected it to be much, much harsher. And maybe in part because Adam Silver sort of teased it before the NBA finals. And for whatever reason, that led to some speculation from people that it would be an entire season. So in Memphis, though, you're saying locally the reaction has been it's exactly as most people expected it to go.
7: Well, I mean, the Players Association called it excessive and inappropriate and, um, and and I think if you look at precedent, there has never been a case um, where someone has gotten more than twenty five games that didn't involve some explicit some explicit violation of written down you, you did this wrong and it's and, and it's against clear policy. This was for the very vague conduct detrimental um sort of standard. And there just has been no precedent. Um, You know, Miles Bridges got 30 games for for pretty serious domestic uh, incident. And so the idea that you would give him that seemed like the outer limit, because the idea that you would give him um, anything like that for flashing a gun on Instagram Live um, seemed wildly inappropriate to me. I do think nationally people had talked about it with such hyperbole, he's going to get half a season. He's going to get a season that, oddly enough, what is really a pretty stiff penalty, 25 games, is in some quarters being looked at as, oh, well, that's not so bad. But if you look at, the, if you look at league history, there's only been seven, seven suspensions of more than 25 games, period, and they've all been for explicit violations of of NBA regulations
0: talking to Jeff Calkins, host of the Jeff Calkins Show on 92.9 FM ESPN. So, Jeff, I think that part of the feeling nationally about Ja and when people are like, oh, he got off light, you're right. By In terms of the infraction, this seems like the outer limits of what you could reasonably give. But in terms of the feeling that it was light, it, it seems like, well, wait a minute, he got the eight games last time. He lost $40 million plus, really, when you add it all up. That stove wasn't hot enough for him to not touch it again. And there's this sense that this might also not be hot enough, that he is showing bad judgment. And for whatever reason, the continuation of the behavior that includes that bad judgment seems to be more important to him than the money he asked that he's losing or his reputation. Um, and, that's, and, and therefore, this is light. And of course, I would argue that it's not really Adam Silver's job to to parent Ja Morant. You try to do what you can, but ultimately he's going to be responsible for his own behavior. How confident do you feel? Uh, and and what's the sense in Memphis that Ja is actually going to get the message this time and modify his behavior?
7: Oh, who knows? I mean, like, the, the the Saturday that I woke up the second time to find that he had flashed a gun a second time was so surreal and beyond the beyond anything one would have imagined that it's, it's absurd to try to predict how this will go. I think your larger point, um, I I do think it's, it's not Adam Silver's job to parent Ja, but I think they were pretty clear actually that part of what they're doing here is trying to get Ja on the right track. And that is as a league who wants to make money, who wants their superstars to remain superstars and, and 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 sell shoes and draw eyeballs? I actually think it is sort of part of the job of the league is to is to help Ja be his best self here. You know, they have that. They also had in addition to the twenty five games. They had the stipulation that he has to, quote, unquote, formulate and fulfill a program with a league that directly addresses the circumstances that led him to repeat this destructive behavior. So they've been a little vague on what that means, but it's pretty clear there's more to this than just the 25 games. I I think, though, this is pretty clearly a it's pretty clearly accumulation of of the last year of just spinning out of control. And it's not just because of this last Instagram live uh, moment pretty clearly. And I think this is an effort. I think the reason you get to 25 games is, and the reason you have the stipulation about other help that he needs to get is because the league is going to do whatever they can to try to get that job back on track, but if I could tell you um if I could tell you if it's gonna work um I'd be a smarter man than I am. I don't think any of us know. I think we hope for the for the sake of job for the sake of the league for the sake of the grizzlies, but I don't think there's any way to know
0: yeah, it seems to me that um. I'm pessimistic about it because it seems to me if it didn't already, you know, it's an unforced error. And while you're right, the league is part of this idea is, no, let's give him a deterrent. What I mean by parent is, you know, within limits. It is based on the actual infraction. They gave him about as stiff as they could give him. Beyond that would be would be out of proportion to actually what happened. And the only point at that point would be no, we need to we need to turn this up. We need to make it more of a d of a deterrent. But um but I, I agree with your analysis of this. Jeff Calkins, host of the Jeff Calkins Show on ninety two nine FM ESPN. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it.
4: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on.
6: legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.
0: Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. Go and get your money, little duffelback back, boy. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson in for Key and J here on Juneteenth. Will John ja Morant challenge his suspension? We heard from Bobby Marks earlier, Amber, it's not like the union can challenge it without Ja. Ja has to uh, uh, um, pursue the challenge and do it within 30 days. Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN senior NBA insider, was on the 6 p.m. Sports Center yesterday, and uh, here's what he has to say about the uh, NBA and the, the, the point of this punishment. It's not been just these
5: two incidences with the gun, the one in the Denver nightclub and then the one uh, in the car more recently. It has been a year, a year and a half of constant investigations by the league office into any number of situations, many of which uh, created uh, by John Morant uh, that put himself, put, his, put others in harm's way. And so I think for the league, they want to see that, not just that John Morant is staying off Instagram live feeds with a firearm, but that he's fundamentally changing his behavior.
0: The NBPA pushed back on Jaws' suspension. Here's Woj talking about that, Amber.
5: They called the league's decision to suspend John Morant for 25 games uh, excessive and inappropriate. I think what they felt was excessive was based on other comparable cases, including some domestic violence suspensions in the league in recent years, that the 25 games was excessive. And then what was inappropriate, again, the vagueness of these steps for John Morant to have to fulfill to return. Uh, there's just not clarity as to what that would require
0: from him. Amber Wilson, you are, among other things, an attorney. That should give you some extra insight into uh, these kind of things. What do you think happens next?
2: Among, among other things, uh, and an attorney, yes. Uh,
0: well, also a, a TV star, a radio star. Show and Amber, many different 7 things. to
2: 9 p.m. Joe Eastern, and Am- Monday of course, here on
0: ESPN Radio, 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern.
2: <laughs> That's how you plug. I do think that the NBA PA has uh, an issue with the fact that there is a lot of vagueness in this punishment. And if I was the PA, I also would have an issue with the vagueness in the punishment because there's these unstated conditions that John Morant has to meet before he's able to return. That doesn't seem like a positive thing if you're a union that wants things in black and white and wants to know what its players have to do if in fact its players get in some sort of trouble before they're allowed to return to their sport and resume their careers and resume getting paid. So I do understand that they're taking issue with that. And there, I think that they have a pretty good argument. I was surprised at the vagueness that was left here from the NBA in punishing John Morant. When it comes to the actual length of the suspension, it's why the NBA wasn't going to go above 25 games. Because there's a lot of people, when we were talking about this nationally, leading up to the actual news of the suspension, that for some reason thought he'd get an entire season or a half a season, and the NBA has to send this really severe message to John Morant to get him to change behavior. Well, they also have to walk the line of doing that and dealing with the union that's behind John Morant. This isn't just whatever the NBA wants to do. The NBA knows the NBAPA is going to take issue with it. They're going to be behind John Morant. If John Morant wants to file a grievance, they're going to be dealing with that. They're going to be talking reduced suspension. And also, oh, by the way, the NBAPA has lawyers, and the NBA could find itself defending this in court if you were to make it too excessive. So I think it's why you get the 25 games. That's a lot less than some people were theorizing. I think that they gave as much as they thought they could and still get past it from a union perspective. But I do think that vagueness causes a problem. However, it's what you said, though. John Morant has to file the grievance. And if you're John Morant's people at this point, with the hit after hit after hit that you've taken from a public relations perspective, are you filing that grievance? Or do you want to just kind of quietly go serve this suspension and sort of try to put it all behind you?
0: Yeah, I... It seems pretty clear to me that Adam Silver came up with a number that would be the biggest deterrent he could hand down to John Morant in order to, you know, course correct. Uh, that wouldn't be undone in the future, right? Like where he 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 just skirted the 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 kind of outermost line of what he could give without it being really greatly reduced. And that makes sense to me. You know, it, it makes a lot of sense. When I say things like, it's not Adam Silver's job to parent John ja Morant, I don't mean that as someone who's running a giant business, but also has good intentions toward the subject, in this case, Ja, where he would clearly like Ja, of course, correct, and and obviously become the kind of person who could be the face of the league, that doesn't mean that you give such an out of proportion, such a disproportional um, punishment. That even were the like, like, even if it wasn't an issue of the NBPA pushing back or JA pushing back, that it's just completely disproportional to the actual behavior. What we're all detecting here is not that JA did something so bad. He set a bad example. Sure, um, no one got hurt. Uh it was an unforced error, both of them sort of unforced errors. They were largely, in fact, exclusively at this moment, self-destructive until some kid emulates the behavior and something bad happens, right? But at this moment, just self-destructive and unforced. That I think there is a sense that what the league is trying to do is rein him in for his own good, and 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 i i think there is at least to neutral observers just kind of fans of the nba a sense that maybe it wasn't at the league's kind of disposable a disposal pardon me a punishment that would be harsh enough to actually rein in the behavior
2: i think the nice thing to say is that the league is trying to help ja morant for his own good. I think the reality is, and this is just the reality of being John Morant's employer. The reality is that the league is trying to send a message that if you're going to assure us that a certain behavior is not going to happen and lie to our faces and do it again, then there's going to be a harsh punishment for that. Because I don't think it's just him wielding a gun on Instagram live, right? And doing it twice, frankly, it could be any particular nonviolent incident where it happens back to back, but you promise a league in between. It wasn't going to happen again. So it's not just about the gun itself. It's not just about the legalities of the situation, or is it an influence on kids or just the state of gun controversy in our country? It's not just that it's that he went to Adam silver, had a conversation with him with the eight game suspension said this behavior, a specific behavior is not going to occur again, and then the behavior occurred again. And from the employer perspective, you have to send a message. You can't just let your employee go ahead and lie to your face and just do the behavior again, whatever the said behavior is. So I think that factors into this as much as anything else. It's, It's all well and good to say they're trying to have him help himself, but there's a different reality there. As well, when you say lie to, lie to their face, correct.
0: he when they when you say lie to their face, he may not have known it was a lie at the time. He may thought he was, he may have thought he was telling the truth. He wasn't going to mess up again. But it does point out to me that there is an underlying cause that the that the showing guns on Instagram Live is a symptom, not a cause. Right, and and until Ja treats the cause of the behavior, addresses the cause of the behavior. Um, the symptoms will pop up this way or in some other way. And so the question is not to whether he's lying to the league, but lying to himself. He's got to tell himself the truth and deal with whatever he's dealing with in reality for it to stop. KJ, I have much more coming up. Thanks for listening to Keyshawn, J. Will, and Matt's The Podcast. Check the guys out live weekday mornings from 6 to 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio.